I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Motorsport Magazine for the very best in motor racing. Hello, everybody, and a warm welcome to another Motorsport Magazine podcast. And today we have, if I'm not very much mistaken, a man called Murray Walker with us at the Motorsport Podcast table. Welcome, Murray. Delighted to be here. Now, there are a certain uh, matters of housekeeping to go through before we uh, speak to Murray who, by the way, uh, was driven up to London today in an Aston Martin Rapide by the very lucky Ed Foster. Very rapidly, too. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't difficult to wake up at six in the morning when you've got, a, no. got an Aston Martin sitting outside. No, well, I wouldn't know. Um, uh, let me just... Work hard. Work hard. <laughs> yes. yes, thank you, Murray. Just a moment, please. Um, uh, let me tell you about our latest subscription offer, because uh, this is vital to us, as you all know. Um, and this one is a particularly good one, actually, because if you subscribe now, you will pay only, and it really is only, £46 for one year's motorsport magazine. You will also get two free DVDs. One is the 1959 British Hill Climb Championship, and the other is 1960s British single-seater racing. Well, I would love to have that one. 1960s British single-seater racing. When was it better? Anyway, you get these two TV DVDs absolutely free of charge if you subscribe to Motorsport magazine now. And the magazine itself will cost you just £46 for the year. Later, we will ask Damien Smith to tell us about our next Reader's Evening, which, of course, is uh, to watch the Audi Le Mans film, and that's on October the 8th, but we'll come to Damien for that later. Murray, welcome. I would like to delve into your real DNA to start the ball rolling and ask you a motorcycling question. Because I've been loving watching Casey Stoner this season and intrigued by Rossi on the Ducati, which Stoner made a better job of the season before. What's been your take so far this year? Um, sadly, Rob, motorcycle racing hasn't been as good this year as it has been in the recent past for much the same sort of reason as Formula One has suffered, and that is that the electronics on the bikes mm. now take care of everything. Mm. You, don't get, you don't get many wheelies these days. You don't get excess horsepower going through as a result of which they're sliding on the corners. Uh, they have to ride on a very tightly defined line to get the best out of the bikes, and it's not nearly as spectacular and dramatic as it used to be. Having said that, Casey Stoner did an absolutely superlative job with the Ducati because uh, Valentino Rossi, who has to be one of the greatest of all time, 
has demonstrated how incredibly difficult it is to ride and master, which Casey Stoner did mm. with great aplomb. And he's showing how good he is now, now that he's with Honda, which is uh, a better bike, and he's having a lot of success. But um, if I may carry on, I, I did... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I did an interview with Valentino Rossi last year at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, Motorcycle Grand Prix. I'd never met him before. I had this image of an, a nice chap. I, walked, I, I sat in the Yamaha motorhome with him. He came in. He sat down opposite me at the table with his bright little face smiling at me, waiting for the question. I explained why I was there and what it was all about. I spent an absolutely enchanting 30 minutes talking to him. Uh, he's gigantically eloquent, he's enormously authoritative, he's unbelievably knowledgeable, he's a thoroughly nice bloke with a well-developed sense of humour, and I took to him enormously. Yeah, I don't think I don't see how you couldn't take to Valentino Rossi. Really, he's he's fantastic, isn't he? Nigel Roebuck uh, is here with us, of course, and Ed Foster and Damien Smith. Um, Nigel, the floor is yours. Oh well, I was just going to say to Mary. I mean, I, I wondered, if, do you, have you met Stoner? Yes, but, I have. Because because uh, he strikes me as quite a sort of prickly. Well, I, character, I, I, but it I've fascinates him, me I, that only he seems to be able to ride a Ducati. Well, I've met him once, to be honest, Nigel, and that was uh, at the Honda motorhome when Honda was in Formula One, and I had the privilege of being their ambassador. Uh, and it was at Silverstone, and Casey came along because uh, of his past affiliation with Honda. Uh, I thought he thought he was a nice bloke, mm. typical Aussie. I got mm. on very well with him, direct, blunt, straightforward. He wasn't as famous and successful then as he is now. Uh, and he has the reputation of being a bit prickly and of being extremely outspoken. Well, he is outspoken. Uh, and I suppose he's got every justification for being prickly. He's, he's, at the, he's at the top of the pile and he's done enormously well. But I've, I've found over the years, and I'm sure you have, that all these top blokes, with very few exceptions, are decent human beings if you mm. treat them decently mm -hmm. yeah yeah but do you have it just going back to this thing about stoner and, du and, the, and the ducati does anybody has anybody ever sort of put forward an explanation to you that makes sense as to why oh, yeah. he got on with it and and, and even rossi I, I, Aiden Malandri. I typically rambled on and failed to answer the question. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. Well, no, I didn't no, like no. to say so, much. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. So, uh, what was the question again? <laughs> it's just what? What is it about Stoner that he made the Ducati work and Malandri couldn't? Hayden hasn't. Um, Rossi isn't. Uh, I have to. I suppose it's a combination of mechanical sympathy and massive balls. It can't be yeah. anything else because yeah. um, Stoner's success with the Ducati was basically trusting the electronics mm. and being prepared to come out of a corner and wind the twist grip round as far as it would go yeah. and let and let the anti-wheelie, anti-stall, anti-everything else kick yeah. in yeah. and con control the speed and horsepower that's going through to the back wheel. And the last thing I'd do is accuse Valentino Rossi as, of not being capable, but he, he obviously hasn't got that element that Casey Stoner's got. Uh, and it's like everything else with, with drivers and motorcycle riders. 
uh, you've got to have the mechanical sympathy for whatever it is you're riding or driving, mm. and Stone mm. has clearly got it. I know Rossi's always been very against all the electronic aids, hasn't he? You know, he's he's never enjoyed it. But you know, a bit like Seller in Formula One, he just he hates it. He wants the bike to be a nice, pure mechanical machine rather than having all these. You know, helping hands. Yes, and, and Ducati, of course, have, have got this characteristic this year that they've produced this very special bike, which in effect doesn't have a frame because everything yeah. is bolted to the engine and, yeah. and the, between the engine and the headstock there's this, 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 this carbon fibre box. And nowadays you've got to have an element of flexibility in the mm. frame in order mm. to get round the corners as quickly as possible. And the Ducati hasn't got it. And they've got a gigantic political problem now because it looks as though in order to win in Grand Prix, they've got to do what all the others mm. are doing, and that's having an aluminium beam frame, mm. which is totally different to the philosophy that they're trying to develop in terms of the best possible road bikes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Should we, um, does that answer your question? I think it pretty much does. Mario. Yes, no, no, it does. I'll let you know if it doesn't. Thanks. Thank um, shall, we, shall we move on uh, to something that, Murray, we've absolutely got to ask you about? And this is the decision that uh, Formula One will be partly on Sky Television uh, and partly on the BBC, when, of course, we all assumed that the BBC would stick to their contract and we would all be able to watch it free of charge every race. Um, now, uh, this is not good news for a lot of fans. Which way is the exit, Rob? Because I'm, I may be uh, needing well, it. Actually, actually we've lo- it. Actually, we've locked it. Uh, uh, I, 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 I can speak with some experience here. Maybe not authority, but I can speak with some experience. Um, I was lucky enough to do the commentary for the BBC when they started doing all the Formula One races in 1978. And then I was lucky enough to be adopted by ITV when BBC lost it. And there is no doubt about the fact that ITV did a better job than the BBC had been doing. Uh, And everybody now has got used to the BBC doing an even better job than ITV did. And I would challenge any organisation in the world to do a better job than the BBC Mm. is doing now Mm. with Jake Humphrey, Eddie Jordan, David Coulthard, Martin Brundle, Ted Kravitz and Lee McKenzie. They're a a wonderful combination. And um, Mark Wilkin, who does the production, does a fantastic job. The BBC uh, are producing unequalled coverage. And naturally... Everybody gets very exercised about the fact that they've now got to either pay for something through watching Sky that they've had free in the past, or they've got to be content with seeing 10 races live on BBC and wait for the others to be seen on the BBC as delayed highlights. Uh, I don't like it, Rob. Nobody likes it, and... The BBC have had 80,000 protests or whatever it is. But the facts of life are that the government has dramatically reduced the funding to the BBC. The BBC has got to make enormous economies. And rightly or wrongly, they have decided that they're going to make a massive economy on Formula One. But the alternative was for them to come out of it altogether. 
and uh, half a loaf is better than no bread and it's going to be more than half a loaf because the worst that anybody is going to have to put up with is seeing 10 races live on the BBC and waiting to see the other 10 probably and possibly with the complete race being shown mm. well it's it's not the end of the world uh, I'm not going to be very popular for saying all this because a lot of people are going to have to shell out 400 quid or whatever Sky want to see all the races live. But it's tough, and I'm convinced mm. that the time is rapidly coming, and you'll be able to comment on this, Nigel, where all sport is going to have to be paid for if you want to watch it on television. Yeah. It's the same with cricket now, it's the same it's, with football, yeah, and in true. America it's everything. Mm. Yeah, and in fact, in the, in the column I, I cited one particular thing, which, the, you know, the golf, the Masters... For the first time this year, was was uh, was shared between Sky and the BBC, and so and what happened was that Sky did the whole did all four days, and the BBC did the last two, yeah. but the two most important. Um, and I should, one of the things that's, I'm, I should be fascinated by is what commentary teams each finishes oh, up oh, with, well, because I I mean yeah. I watched the first two days of the Masters on Sky. Uh, and did not enjoy the commentary at all. It was essentially Colin Montgomery talking about himself. Uh, and I couldn't wait. And I, I mean, you know, yeah, if, I was going to say, Peter Alice in did golf. You, did is, you not like it because it was different or because it wasn't um, as good? It was, I didn't, uh, well, both. Yeah. Both. It was different. I, I didn't think it was as good. Technically, it was fine. But they. Uh, I just thought they've just spent a lot of money in getting assembling names but they're actually not well, very good to uh, listen uh, to. And then Peter Alice arrived finally back on Saturday and Sunday, and it was delightful to hear But do you watch football and cricket? I Which watch, I, they do I, I watch well. cricket. I strive to avoid football. Uh, do, do you approve of Sky coverage on cricket? Or um, no? Yes, it's okay. But the, I, almost, I think, Murray, to a point, I've forgotten what it was like before it was on Sky now. Yeah. Uh, but they have, they have, you know, they have David Gower. Well, I, and, and I, well, I worry about it, Nigel, no end, because... Frankly, I find it difficult to imagine how anybody can do better than the BBC is doing now. Yeah. Not only in terms of the people that are presenting it that I've just talked about, but in terms of the time they get. Absolutely. Because you can see the practice on, yeah. on the red button with yeah. um, David Crofts and yeah. Andy Davidson doing it, yeah. and they do it superbly. Yeah. Uh, you see the qualifying, you see the race, you see an hour before the race, you see about an hour and a half after the race. And I find it difficult to believe that Sky are going to be doing better than that. Uh, and the British don't like change, and no, they won't no. want somebody other than Martin Brundle and David Coulthard doing it, no. notwithstanding the fact that they're doing it for the first time this year <coughs> together. No, but they, no, they do it true. consummately well, yeah. and everybody's got used to them and admires and respects them. Mm. Um, so, sorry, Mary. I don't think we should dwell too long on, on this subject simply because um, it really does affect the UK and Australia in the main, and whereas we're talking yes. globally yes. On, their, on our podcast. Right, I think. But yes. um, I, if, can I just make... If I, if I could just make one point, actually, Murray, just to pick up on something you mentioned. Of course, you know, there is an entire generation and more than one generation which has never known anything other than every Grand Prix being on TV live in its entirety That's and everything right. else. That's, that's me. But as you were saying, 1978, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly, <laughs> absolutely right. You, but you're talking about 1978. You know, that was actually the first year 
that every Grand Prix was on was on live. Yeah. And I can remember but, that when there were sort of two or three a year, and, it, and and only bits of them, you know, so you would, bit of Formula One, bit of course, I mean, show I, jumping. I remember being at Monza one year, uh, I'm terrible on remembering which years. It was the year that Jackie Stewart won by a hairsbreadth. Uh, there were two six, six cameras, Nigel. Yeah. One, mm. one of them was on the Mussolini grandstand looking down towards the Parabolica, mm-hmm. and it was a fixed camera, mm-hmm. and the other was at the Lesmo Benz. Mm. And, and so that, for, for half right. the lap, you couldn't see who was competing, <laughs> and I had to just <laughs> fill in. <laughs> <laughs> was yeah. that a problem, Murray? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Right. No. <laughs> so, you know... The, you mentioned half a loaf, and I mean, I remember watching those races on the BBC, and the thing was, it was so much better than nothing. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Well, it, it, it's true. Well, it's true. Um, but yeah, all I'm saying is, um, it's sort of, it's, it's perhaps a little bit easier to accept what's happening now mm. if you have been through the time when you really yes, got down yes, all, yeah, you know, okay. or, or hardly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the Formula One season so far. Fantastic uh, performance again from Adrian Newey, isn't it? I mean, the man is uh, remarkable, isn't he? Well, yes, he is. I mean, he did it in America. He did it with Williams. He did it with McLaren. And now he's done it again with Red Bull. Uh, I get very intolerant and exercised about people who say that Red Bull shouldn't be in Formula One. They're only a soft drinks manufacturer. And how dare they beat the likes of... McLaren and Ferrari and Mercedes the fact is that they've done a better job than anybody else and they've done it because Dieter Mateschitz the boss of Red Bull and the money bags uh, has had the courage of his convictions and has put his money where his mouth is and we all know that if you've got enough money in Formula One you can get the right people and if you give them the right facilities and enough time both things they need they'll produce a winning team and that's what he's done and good luck to him Murray, we don't see many uh, team principals come in um, into the sport and have an impact the way that Christian Horner has at Red Bull. I mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit for um, galvanising what was essentially originally Jaguar Racing, a very underperforming team, and within you know uh, five years make them world champion. What do you what do you make of Christian? I, I think first of all, he's a lovely bloke, and, and secondly, he's a quite incredible person. Uh, he was no mean driver himself, as you well know, and uh, he had his own Arden team. Uh, and now, as you rightly say, he's built up Red Bull from nothing uh, by employing the right people and giving them the right direction and the right encouragement. And Formula One, we all know, is a collection of outstanding people, no matter what you do, whether you're a mechanic putting on the wheels or whether you are one of the people doing the telemetry or whether you're a team principal or whether you're a designer you are the best at what you do in a very fast moving colorful high stepping sport and the difficulty is to get the right people and get them to work together nigel you will remember the force team where there was where there was a heck of a lot of American money, yes, yes. and they had Ross Braun and people and, like and that. They had, well, in fact, they had Ross and Adrian at the same That's time right. at one point, yeah. didn't they? And, and Neil yeah. Oatley, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it didn't work. No, no. Why didn't it work? Um, well, it was for a start. It was it was it was instant and it was artificial. I mean, there was there were also people there like Tyler Alexander, you know, right? So very very experienced uh, experienced people. 
But it was a sort of, I mean, I mean to me, Murray, it was, it was to Formula One what Manchester City or Chelsea are, which is sort of, in other words, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, the old saying from Indy in the 50s was, you know, the, the, the team owner saying, um, well, how much is it going to cost you? And the chief mechanic's answer was, well, how fast do you want to go? And, and they, so they spend the money, but they, but and, and they, but they just assume that by assembling enough talent, yes, that's right. that, that would be enough. But, and but Carl it's, Haas was no mug, was he? No, no, he wasn't. But but, I mean, but what he didn't have was any experience of Formula One, yeah. and in fact, oh. the Formula One project was actually on the back of the the IndyCar project was done. Well, do you remember it was Beatrice? It was called companies called Beatrice yes. Foods. It was mm, a yeah. massive, massive yes. company, mm. <clears throat> and the chairman was a fan, a racing fan. Yeah. And he actually said to Carl, well, if we're doing this, well, why don't we have a Formula One team as well? So Carl sort of said, well, well, well uh, yeah, all right. So a huge amount of money was spent, but in effect, it, it was kind of thrown together. Um, sorry. No, I was going to say, I said to Ed coming up in the car today, uh, there was a time when I thought if I had a massive amount of money, I would love to have my own Formula One team. I now know that if I had a massive amount of money, the last thing on earth I would want is my own. Can you imagine being up against Eddie Jordan, Frank Williams, uh, Ron Dennis? Uh, they would have cut me. They would have cut me to ribbons. It's, all, it's also a very rapid way to have a very little bit of money and to make a small fortune. Yeah, start off with a large yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I guess you. I guess you could say the same things about the BAR team in many ways, couldn't you? Um, you know, yeah, there were definitely there were similarities, weren't there, Murray? Yes, and, yes. and Toyota yeah, yeah. To, a, yeah. to a certain extent, yes. and Toyota to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, just proving that money is not everything, which actually underlines what we're saying about um, Christian. Well, Horner. Where, did, where did BAR go wrong? Because uh, Craig Pollock uh, sweet talked uh, British American Tobacco into yeah. divvying up a great deal of money, so that wasn't the problem. Uh, they had the premises, Adrian Reynard's place, uh, which was BAR, which became yeah. Honda, yeah. which mm-hmm. is Mercedes-Benz, and it's the same, yeah, same people right. working right. there. Yeah. <laughs> the same vast palace. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where did BAR go wrong? I don't know. I mean, well, I, I, the, the, BA, the BAR there, story they? that always comes to mind when, uh, <laughs> whenever I think of them, that first year, I think we got to, uh, I can't remember if it was Hockenheim or Nürburgring, but it was the German Grand Prix. We were there. We were there in in uh, in practice, and somebody told me that the BAR motorhome actually had twenty eight phone lines, which <laughs> took a bit of believing. It was certainly the biggest motorhome in the paddock at yes. that time, without a doubt. And I said to Bernie, "That motorhome. I'm told that motorhome's got twenty eight phone lines." Murray said. Well, they probably need it. And I said, well, why would they need it? He said, well, just in case 28 people ring up at the same time to see if they scored a point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will, Miss Bernie Edmondstone, will we? We will. Yeah. Yeah. He, always t- he always talks so quietly, doesn't he? He, yeah. Said, yeah. he said to me once, I don't make money, I do deals. Yes, that's and, right. and I really do think that for Bernie, the money is a byproduct yes. of a deal yeah. Yeah. because he, w- he wants to win the deal. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, and I would hate to be up against him. 
Well, he still gets a kick out of it, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. as, as much well, as ever. Yeah. Murray, here's a question. Here's a question. I mean, what happens after Bernie Ecclestone? Yeah, you will oh, have a view on this. I said to him once, Bernie, I said, you're responsible for Formula One being what it is. Now it was an amateur sport and you never knew whether Ferrari were going to turn up. It's now highly professional. It's all down to you. What's going to happen when you go? I'm not planning to leave, he said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So what's going to happen? I don't know, Rob. It'll be, uh, it'll be some sort of a committee, inevitably, won't it? Uh, we know what happens with committees. They set out to produce a horse and a, a camel. Yeah. And, um, you don't, I don't know. Maybe. maybe. I mean, it's amazing for you a can't, sport. You can't see another single individual, though, Murray, can you? I can't, anyway. Um, who, who, who uh, I, no one would have the authority, I've, would they? I've given it carry the authority over the years, and I can't. No, Christian Horner. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I admire Christian right, as, as much as Murray does. Let's try a but, few. Yeah. Ron Dennis. No, no. Why not? Because I think that he ha- too uh, inflexible. Yes, and having gone through the problems he went through uh, a few years ago, I don't, I don't think he could come back and run it. Do you? Uh, no, no, no. Think, He's too divisive as well, I think. Flavio Briatore. <laughs> would be amusing. Well, he, he, <laughs> he, he, uh, you know, in, in terms of doing deals in, in, yeah. a, in a money sense, yeah. yeah, after Bernie, he would be the, that would be the first guy I would think of. Would he really be, would he be top of your list if you had a choice, do you think? Um, it would be difficult now, I mean, in mm. light of events in the mm. recent past, but... Yeah. Um, Why couldn't Formula I, I, One? But I think in ter- if you're talking in terms of simply doing deals, um, I mean, there's a reason why Bernie and Flav are such friends and always have been because they've done yeah. a lot of deals together. And um, if Bernie admires Flav's um, but, way of doing deals, then it must be pretty. But good. Nigel, you you're extremely knowledgeable about the American motor racing scene, mm. and am I not right in saying that where what I think of as cart? Uh, had gone down the mine and disappeared without trace. Some bloke who was in charge of the American Rough Riding Rodeo Association mm, or mm, something mm. Uh, has come in mm-hmm. and is turning it round. In other words, why can't a complete stranger come it, in? It, mm-hmm. It's not impossible, Murray. And in fact, you know, Jackie Stewart has long said that um, ideally that's what Formula One needs. Yeah. Post Bernie. Um, he, he's always said maybe somebody who's never had any connection with racing, mm. but is a supreme businessman um, well that's a name Jackie Stewart yeah, I mean he's been there and done that yes, and yes. he's uh, made a bob or two out of he's made a bob or two yes yeah. I, I, but I think he probably eat, you know eat a razor blade before he'd volunteer for yeah. a job like that Murray. you think he, he wouldn't he wouldn't need it somehow no 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 <laughs> and, I, and I think well I mean you know I, I think I think being chairman of the BRDC probably cured yes. JYS of, <laughs> of uh, <laughs> being the man at the helm actually that, that, um, Martin Brundle again you know not impossible but but um, you see the first thing you would say to me too nice a bloke Yes, well, um, that, that is a problem, of course. Yeah. Actually, Rob yeah. Christian Christian Horner is not a daft idea. No, I think about I it. think I think he would be my favourite. But what I'd like to know is why can't Formula One be run like all other global sports at the top level? Why can't it be run? You know, why does it have to be run by an individual? I just don't get it. Well, but it wouldn't be run by an individual. But you still need a front man, don't you? 
from yeah, 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 even if there's a you know a chairman of the board, basically because it always has been Rob, right. and because he's done a consummate job, yeah. and because the best way to run any organisation is to have a benevolent dictator in charge yeah. of it. I don't know how benevolent Bernie is, but he's certainly. <laughs> but I, I think there's one uh, Bernie. The other special quality you see that Bernie has and will always have, and which nobody taking over could ever have, is that when Bernie first, in effect, unionized, that you know formed um, um, FOCA or FICA as it was originally, um, and just said to the teams. Look, instead of us all doing our individual deals with the organisers, let me, I'll do for everybody. And they were very happy to let him do it. We, you know, what you have to remember is that, that, that Bernie made a lot of people hugely, oh, hugely yes, rich. Yeah. But, but they were not before. Yeah. That's now right. they are all hugely rich. And, uh, and it's a situation that's existed for a long time. They know nothing else. They think of nothing else. Um, but there's nobody else. Nobody else could ever, I don't think, have quite the hold on them that Bernie no. has because he because Bernie is the reason they are rich. Yeah. Is, is Sorry, there a worst, you... worst nightmare? All the teams running it. I, mean, I think if you look, I think if you look in the end at what happened to Cart, yeah. yes, that's yeah. the prime example. Because Cart, there was a time when Cart was the best racing series on earth. Mm. I thought. And yeah. Bernie um, is a racer at heart. Oh, he I mean, is. He no question got, about him. He, he has. He has got the sport at heart and we all know that he has done all sorts of generous things for the sport yeah. that, that, that people in general don't know about. Yeah, that's true. Um, Murray, when we uh, announced on Twitter, is it, Ed, is it yeah, Twitter? That's, yeah, that's Twitter. what it's called. Twitter. Yeah. We're a very modern magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Rob. Are you a tweeter? Murray? Not over my dead body, Rob. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a tweeter and I'm not a Facebooker, but, uh, but I'm, I'm an old chap and I'm, I'm not so closely in touch with all the modern technology no. like what most no. people are. No, I, I, I'm, <laughs> thank God. I, I'm not much of a tweeter myself, actually. I must say. But, but what is amazing is it went mad when we announced that Murray Walker was coming on our podcast. You know, the thing sort of... Sp- Exploded, and uh, so I'd like to pass on some of the questions to you. And uh, I like this one, um, which the trouble is I haven't brought my reading glasses, so I'm I'm just padding while I while I find where this question is. Um, I may not even have the right page. Ah, here it is. Yes. Do you still get excited on Friday morning uh, when you're at home and you know that you can put the television on and see the cars come out? Uh, I, 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 I don't know that excited is quite the right word. Uh, uh, I certainly look forward enormously to the fact that I'm going to be able to l- listen to David Croft and Anthony Davidson on the red button talking ab- about the practice and then that I'm going to be able to listen to the television team talking about all the rest of it. Uh, because the, the commentating wasn't a job as far as I was concerned, Rob. My wife says I've never done a day's work in the whole of my life because, <laughs> because I've always enjoyed immensely what I did. Uh, and uh, I like to think of myself as an enthusiast who was lucky enough to be able to be talking to people about that which they loved and I loved. Sure. And also you've been responsible. I mean, as, as Matt, 79, says here... Uh, many of us, he says, um, owe our passion for Formula One to you. Yeah, I was very lucky, Rob, because when I started, I mean, I did a few Grand Prix that Raymond Baxter didn't do before 1978 when the BBC started doing all of them. And at that time, there was only one broadcaster. 
Mm-hmm. And it was the BBC. So if you were the BBC's man, by definition, you were the man. And basically, if you satisfied your producer and your masters at the BBC, you were all right. And it's going to be very difficult for anybody in any sport, not just Formula One, uh, to get as well known as the BBC commentators like uh, Peter Alice, David mm-hmm. Coleman, Harry Carpenter, um, the tennis, Dan Maskell, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, so many of them, uh, because they had an exclusive. But so, nowadays yeah. there's BBC, ITV, um, Channel 5, a Sky, umpteen different commentators, each with a very small share of the market. So it's going to be very difficult for any one person to uh, have, the, have the, the privilege and advantage that I had. Murray, you mentioned some of the great names of sports commentary in other areas. Um, what do you think about the, the rise of the uh, expert commentators today? I mean, you know, previously they were broadcasters first. Um, these days they're sportsmen who become uh, commentators yeah. and experts. What do you think of that trend? Uh, when, in 1980, Damien... Jonathan Martin, who was the head of sport of BBC television, said to me, oh, there's going to be two commentators in future, Murray. Uh, you'll be one, and James Hunt will be the other. And I thought, <laughs> I, th- I thought, James Hunt? I thought, uh, what the hell does he know about commentary? He's a racing driver. And I also thought that this was the thin end of the wedge to get me out and Hunt in. Uh, and as a result of that, there was... Uh, a fair amount of friction in the commentary box between James and I until we learned to live with with each other. Uh, But the idea of having a pundit who knows what he's talking about because he's been there and done that successfully is an extremely good one for all sorts of reasons. It gives the viewer two different voices, it gives the viewer two different points of view, Uh, It gives the viewer something that most commentators haven't got, and that's knowledge and experience of actually having done it. Uh, And if the combination works, as it did, I believe, with James and myself, and subsequently with Martin and myself, uh, it's an enormous benefit. Mm. But, But the problem is finding the pundit who can do it. Because because you've been there and done that doesn't mean to say that you can talk about it knowledgeably, authoritatively and hopefully entertainingly. Now, James Hunt could and did. Martin Brundle could and does. Uh, David Coulthard most certainly. I mean, David Coulthard has been an absolute eye-opener to me. I think he's Mm. done a fantastic job. So if it works, if it's great... Uh, if it doesn't, it isn't. But if it doesn't work, the pundit doesn't mm. last very long. But the interesting thing, of course, with, with with Martin is I think we're we're lucky to have him in a way because he could have been a broadcaster before being a racing driver. Mm. The way the mm. way he's grown into broadcasting, um, yeah. you know. But to have a, a pundit who becomes the lead commentator and actually holds the program yes. together, yes. that's something else, yes. isn't it? Yes. He, he always jokes that his racing career was just in preparation for his broadcasting career. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. But. Um, I don't know what it is. For for, for whatever reason, uh, James Allen, who followed me, and um, Jonathan Ledgard, who'd followed James, both of whom are extremely nice people, both of whom are extremely eloquent, both of whom are extremely knowledgeable and experienced, for, for whatever reason, didn't click with the British public. And I don't know what it is that enables you to click. Mm. And, and Martin Brundle and David Coulthard have most certainly done so. It's a combination of respect 
and admiration of their personalities, I think. Do you not think also, Murray, that there, there is something that makes someone a broadcaster or not? It's that, it's that almost intangible thing. I mean, for example, Martin Brundle just took to it like a duck to water, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, but it, 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 it's, it, it's partly having the knowledge of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is extremely important. It's partly having the ability to talk about it, mm. which is essential, because because you've been there and done that doesn't mean to say that you can talk about it. Uh, I mean, in the past, who could have been, theoretically, a better commentator to talk about athletics than Roger Bannister? Sure. First chap to run the four-minute mile, mm. but he was not a success. No, no. Uh, and it's not a criticism of him, um, but, but because you can drive a car quickly, it doesn't mean to say that you're also a stand-up comedian on on the box. Uh, But to some extent, you have to be. I think also there's there's a quality in some voices and it's not there in others. Mm -hmm. And and I always, Murray, thought your true genius was making an inordinately dull afternoon (laughs) seem exciting. And I still don't know how you you, you were able to do that. You know, I mean... I like to think of myself. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As a passionate enthusiast who's very lucky to be where he is when he's talking into a microphone and trying to interpret the pictures that the viewer is looking at. Uh, And it was a passion. Mm. Uh, It still is. Uh, and um, you are very, you are extremely lucky to be there. Uh, and uh, oh, I know it's true. But I remember it was one year at Barcelona when literally nobody passed anybody all day long. It just they just droned around. And I remember, and you came into the press room afterwards, and I said, "What do you think?" And you sort of said, "Well, it was yes. that was hard going, wasn't it?" Then, and, and it, my wife uh, recorded it for me, which she always has and always does, and I got home and watched it, and I sort of thought, I can't believe this. That's, I, I was there. It wasn't like this. Yes, <laughs> it yes, wasn't this exciting. Yes, yes, but you know, as well as I do, that there is no such thing as a dull Formula One race. It may be processional, 
but yeah. it's not dull. And if you know what to look for, yeah, there is true. always something exciting that you can talk it's about. True. Like talking about Spain, mm-hmm. uh, Emilio de Villotta getting in the way of James Hunt. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And what was going to happen to Emilio <laughs> Villotta when James Hunt got out of the car? And it did. Also, Murray, those are the days when you really earn your money, aren't they? I mean, it's much easier to commentate on a thrilling race. Um, no? yeah, yeah, well, yes, it is. It, it is, Rob. But if you, if you, it's like everything. If you like what you're doing, you are going to be enthusiastic yeah. about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, we've got so many questions to get through. We, I think we've had a record number of questions. But Tony Garan-Murray wants to know what you think James would have thought of DRS and Kerrs and all these various tyres that we're faced with each weekend. I, I don't know. I suspect that James would have been uh, swingingly critical and dismissive of them uh, as being artificial aids which detracted from the skill of the driver. Uh, but, uh, sadly or not, we're Formula One in show business and what most of the public want to see is something exciting and most of the public are not rabid in knowledgeable enthusiasts like like what we are (laughs) (laughs) we are and all the people who are listening to us today fantastic um a couple more questions murray uh this is quite a tough one actually uh it comes from juliet armstrong and she she wants to know what was the most exciting moment i'm going to say this slowly to give you time to him the moment you ever commentated on in Formula One, you know, might it have been Damon Hill winning the championship or Nigel Mansell's puncture in Australia? Um, I thought coming from Juliet Armstrong, it was going to be, why aren't there more women in Formula One? Uh, however, well, we this, can come to that. This is a much, this is a much, this is a much easier question. Uh, the most exciting uh, to me, I think, was... Nigel Mansell passing Nelson Piquet uh, in the 1987 British Grand Prix because you had the home hero (coughs) against the villain from Brazil and they they hated each other's guts uh, (laughs) and they were the only two people in the race and Nigel drove an absolute blinder. Uh, Second to that uh, would both be... Damon Hill, what? Oh, uh, uh, Damon Hill in '94 at Suzuka when mm. oh, that, when it was a ra- two-part two yeah, race, and race that was. he won yeah. by I remember saying three point four seconds, fantastic. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, and uh, I don't know, there's so many of them, Rob. Uh, yeah, there are, uh, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. What Schumacher and um, Villeneuve mm. colliding was pretty exciting at Jerez. Mm. Mm. One of the most bizarre ones I remember doing because I must admit I'm a child of the 80s so I grew up watching Grand Prix on a on a Sunday night and the Mexican Grand Prix when you and I, I assume you were commentating from London for that one and, uh, it, and you had to go from uh, we watched the start of the race as a highlights thing and then suddenly it switched to to live do you remember that one uh, I can't remember Damien some of them we some of them we actually did from Mexico I mean the 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 86 I think it was when um Nigel uh, came to it's my birthday and Nigel came to my birthday party and he said 
I'm not going to eat anything, Murray, because uh, I'm right driving in the race tomorrow. So qualifying. And uh, to cut a long story short, he had a slice of beef and a roll, a bread roll. And the next day, he had Montezuma's Revenge. And you remember in those days, Nigel, they used to paint arrows on the... On the on the on the pits approach to indicate to the driver where he had to stop, uh, and the the Williams mechanic <laughs> put paint, painted a bent right, arrow yes, yes, yes. <laughs> with the word yeah. toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, uh, I got a feeling that I haven't answered the question again. <laughs> I really, I really don't think it matters. Actually, that's a better story anyway. I think William's mechanic humour is just fine. Actually, um, we, we ought to ask you really about um, what's been going on at Williams Murray because we're all big fans. I think I think I can say we're all big fans of the team, and it, it's been sad to see, hasn't it? It's been. I would put it more strongly than that, Rob. I would say it's been absolutely tragic because. Uh, I, I think rightly regard Williams as one of the greatest Formula One teams of all time. I have the most gigantic admiration and respect for Frank Williams and Patrick Head and the organisation they built. Uh, they've had enormous success and now as I speak to you, they've scored four points in this season mm. and, and they're down the mine with, with the HRTs of this world. Yeah. Uh, and. The, the brutal truth, for whatever reason, and I don't know whether it's political or practical, I don't believe it's budget, is that they haven't done a good enough job and they can't have done a good enough job because they haven't got the right people in the right places. Is that a fair comment? Mm, mm. I mean, I, I hate having to say it, mm. but Formula One is the toughest and most ruthless business I have ever come across in my life. And I was in the advertising business and I thought that was pretty tough. And it's a kid's tea party compared with Formula One. Um, but uh, I, I hope to live to see the time when Williams, under their new leadership, uh, are back at the top again. Hmm. Um, we have a question from Alistair Warren uh, about the two Lotus teams on the grid, Murray. And I, I'm keen to hear what, you, what, what your view on that is. I mean, I think most of us around the table feel that Lotus stopped with Colin Chapman. I have, I have a very strong point of view on that, which you have just expressed. Uh, in my opinion, uh, and I have the greatest admiration for um, what, is they're trying to do with Lotus, but in my opinion, no team nowadays is entitled to call itself Lotus because Lotus to me was Colin Chapman and Jim Clark and arguably, to some extent, Peter Waugh and Ayrton Senna, but it certainly stopped being Lotus in 1987, uh, if not earlier. And I really don't know why they want to call themselves Lotus because I would have enormous respect for Tony Fernandez if he had started a new team and called it Air Asia. Yeah, why, why does it have to be called Lotus? Why does it have saying? to be called I, I, I entirely agree. Yes. Well, um, I think it's people mistakenly thinking that it gives them credibility is what I think. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, you, but, but, I mean I mean, go... go <laughs> An awful lot, again, I don't mean this unkindly, but an awful lot of the people who are watching and enjoying Formula One now know nothing about its history. And, and Lotus no. and Colin Chapman and even Ayrton Senna uh, are completely meaningless to them now. So what reputation and historical association has 
Team Lotus got with what was Colin Chapman's organisation? Mm. Nothing. Mm. Yeah. Murray, you mentioned that, people not knowing about history, on, in the car on the way up, you were telling that story of um, the Schumacher fan who came up to you. Yeah, I, I, I live near a little country town uh, and a bloke came up to me and said, uh, Murray, he said, that Michael Schumacher is the greatest driver that's ever lived. I said, uh, hang on. I said, uh, yeah, I said, he's bloody good. But I said, uh, what about uh, Anuvolari, Caracciola, Ben Rosemar, uh, Jim Clark, Alberto Ascari? Never heard of them, he said. <laughs> and what he meant was that Michael Schumacher is the greatest driver that's ever lived that I've heard of. Yes. Because yes. he had no yeah. historical knowledge. And I'm not saying this critically or destructively, uh, Michael Schumacher actually uh, had little or no interest or knowledge no, of the historical zero. greatness of Ferrari when he joined them. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, in your advertising career, you'd have probably said he was probably the best racing driver in the world. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have the privilege of handling Carlsberg, but, but du double diamond, we did. <laughs> other works, beers are, works wonders, you will recall. <laughs> and, and other beers are available. <laughs> what happened to double diamond? Oh. <laughs> that uh, transition period for you must have been amazing. When you went, when the BBC started doing every race, and you became the the commentator regularly rather than... Yes, um, what a lot of people didn't realise, Damien, Damien was uh, we didn't actually go to a lot of the races, the long-haul ones, like uh, Brazil, Japan, South Africa, uh, we would be doing from a studio in Shepherd's Bush in uh, an enormous barn-like studio and if you were doing the Japanese Grand Prix you went in at four o'clock in the morning and there was just a monitor in the middle of this vast room and you had to try to talk knowledgeably, enthusiastically and hopefully entertainingly about something that was happening live. You couldn't say uh, we weren't, we, we're not there no. because obviously the public was saying, well, if they're not there, how can they talk about it? Mm. By the same token, you couldn't say we are there because that would be <laughs> lying. So you used to say things like... Uh, I can't actually see the pits from my commentary position, which, which, was, which was perfectly true because you were 8,000 miles away. Um, but but and I, I remember uh, James Hunt, you can't talk about Formula One and TV very long without talking about James. James tended to have a, a very strong opinion about anything, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and he had a particularly strong opinion about apartheid in South Africa. And we were doing the South African Grand Prix from Shepherd's Bush, and all of a sudden, for no reason at all, James starts banging on about the evils of apartheid. Uh, which actually hadn't got a great deal to do with the South African Grand Prix and wasn't doing the BBC politically much good either. And Mark Wilkin, who was producing the programme, writes a note and passes it to James and it said, talk about the race. So James says, well, anyway, thank God we're not there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Well, 
Do you know what? I, I, I think television really needs people like that. <laughs> I do. I do. I think, I think it's good old James. And, and uh, he was great with yeah, you. You no, were great was, together, <laughs> weren't you? You were great together. Trouble together. with Jabber, he's a French Wally, always has been and always will be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and for Tracy, ye gods, I mean, as soon as he started talking about Ricardo, yeah. he used to. But I always knew, I, but I always knew if, if I said there's no such thing as a dull Grand Prix. You could have processional ones. And if we had a processional one uh, and there wasn't a great deal to say about it, I knew that I only had to say something complimentary about Ricardo Patrese. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we shared one microphone between the two of yeah. us, so you had to actually yield the microphone for the other bloke to talk. James would furiously gesticulate at me and I would give him the microphone and he would then pour vitriol and bile on <laughs> Ricardo Patrese, who he quite wrongly regarded yeah. as being responsible for the death of Rodney Peterson yeah. at uh, yeah. Monza in 1978. Yeah. Yeah. But, but as I say, it, James had a fixed opinion about things and nothing would change them. Yeah. It wasn't nearly as bad as him actually not turning up for to do the commentary uh, as happened in Belgium yes, one year. Yeah. And, and I, I was frantically saying, where's James, where's James? And he never turned up. And we were getting Johnny Herbert in and anybody that had retired to help out. And James came up afterwards and apologised for not being there on account of the fact that he'd been in bed with a stomach complaint. And I thought, it's the first time I've ever heard it called that. I think they were going to say, I think there were two stomach complaints. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Family show. Family show. This is Motorsport magazine. Um, yeah. Anyway, wonderful stories, Murray, as ever. Thank you so much. We've actually <clears> taken <throat> another question. And this comes from South Africa. It comes from Gary in Kyalami Hills. And uh, he, he wants to talk to you about noise, Murray. And uh, it's something we've discussed on this podcast before. Um, we don't want quiet little turbo engines in Grand Prix racing, do we? Um, maybe, maybe not, Rob. Uh, if, if ever I talk to somebody who's been to a Grand Prix for the first time, did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. Uh, what 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 impressed you most? Oh, the noise! It's always the noise. Mm. So yes, noise is an integral part of Formula One. But Nigel, Damien, when we had one and a half liter Contra Climax engines in nineteen whenever it was, and Jim Clark was winning, and Graham Bill was winning, and Jackie Stewart was winning, and they weren't making the nineteen thousand RPM noise. No, no, Did no. we complain? Um, no, no, we didn't. We didn't. It was actually quite a nice noise, Murray. I mean, it was. It wasn't anything like the sort of the, you know the, the volume and intensity of you know the engines today. But no, that that that, is, that is that is a fair point. I think the V sixes, Rob, will will make a nice a V six at fifteen thousand RPM, which is what it's going to be. You, you see, I always like the the uh, the sound of the turbo engines first time round, Murray. Yes, you know the tag and, and the, 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 the Honda. Yes, yeah, I, I, yes. I, I, I thought it was a nice sound. I mean, vi visually and audially, no. What's the word? Um, Never mind. You orally. Know. Orally. Uh, orally. The showers of sparks from the titanium skid plates mm -hmm. accompanied by chattering wastegates oh, yeah. Yeah. were a really exciting yeah, no, time. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The yeah. most yes. exciting yes. time, I yes. reckon. Yes. Yeah. 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 I've always wondered, actually, about that 61 season when you went from 
uh, went to one and a half litre mm-hmm. Grand Prix cars. <clears throat> Do you remember any sort of backlash from the the, the public as such uh, in those times that people were well, not? Uh, you know, not. I mean, I was I was I was only a kid, and I mean, mm. I was going to odd races. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I remember it. It was massively un, um, uh, unpopular with the drivers. Yeah, they they, the they really hated it. One and a half litres unsupercharged, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. 160 brake horsepower Formula One car. Yeah, yeah. joke. But it, but no. it was a great time. Graham Hill, Jackie Stewart, but, Jim but, Clark. Yeah, no, no, there, there was there was some yeah. great racing. I, yeah. I, I must say, Murray, whenever I'm at the Festival of Speed or something, if you see a Lotus 25 now or something mm-hmm. like that, you really cannot get over how tiny they were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, little jewels, were, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, little jewels, absolutely. But, Fantastic. But very little. Yeah, yeah, they were. Have we ever were. gone from such a change from you know from 1958, say in a van wall, monster of a car. Yeah, but but again, you know, it's it, it's 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 how you perceive things rather than how things really are. I mean, I I, um, I when when I was very young, I was I was my parents took me to the Gold Cup at Alton Park in 1955, and there, there were two. It was a very very good entry. There were two um, Lanciers D50s that had been taken over by Ferrari just and they were being driven by Hawthorne and Castellotti and I came, it was, was my, my dad and came up on these cars and I, mean, I thought they were they, they seemed terrifying in a way they were massive mm. listening to me go to Goodwood now and look at a D50 mm, in the yeah. paddock and you think it's actually a very small car mm. yes yeah. 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 photographs it looks huge yes yeah. uh, when, when it's not in, you know, in proportion to uh, anything else but when you actually see it it's not a big car at all that was one of the great might have beens of all time, it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. If, it was, if absolutely. they'd had time to develop yeah. that car, and if hadn't it would been have killed. been terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. What did you think about Mike Hawthorne as a bloke? Well, I never knew him, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, a lot of people thought he was. It seems to me a lot of people absolutely adored him, um, in the same way that. People adored Innes, uh, sort of hail fellow, well met, and all the rest of it. Um, I must say also that I've met people who were contemporaries of my who regarded him as like an objectionable boor. Yes. Exactly right. Yes. Just thought he was a you know a Yahoo. Yeah. Um, so um, and I'm interested. You you asked me what what, um, what, have, what, what, well, what were you all around? Much the same. I mean, there's the image of the flat cap, bow tie, pint of beer in hand, hell right. fellow, well met. Yeah. Uh, but he could be uh, pretty outrageously mm. unacceptable. Mm. Um, apropos of nothing, one one of the great books of all time is Mon Ami Mate, yes. which yeah. Chris Nixon wrote about yes. uh, book. the Hawthorne-Peter Collins yes. Association. Yes. Uh, and uh, I would always recommend that as a great book if you want to know something yes. about yes. the history of the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I mean, that is, isn't that the next project for um, yes, it is. The, the people who, yeah. who did the Senate film? Yeah. film. Yeah. 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 And what was that? The, the, the people who made the Senate film, the documentary. Oh, yes. Um, the next project, I'm, I understand, is a, is a not a documentary but a feature film yes. about you know, yes. made about the mm. friendship between those two. Yeah, there's also so, going to be, and there's, of course, there's the louder, louder hunt one, yeah. which yes. is being made. Mm. It's all so the rage. Suddenly, racing is very much yeah. in vogue for uh, movies. Absolutely. Well, there have been two fabulous films this year for motorsport enthusiasts. One is the Senna one. <laughs> 
which I say even if you are totally disinterested in motor racing and Formula One, you must see because it's just, it's about an incredible man mm. rather than an rather than an incredible sport. Uh, and the other one was the TT film, Closer which to I the Edge. Which I still haven't seen and oh, I, I'm, it's, I'm it's, desperate it's, to see. Yeah, as good as, if not better than, if you're a motorcycle racing enthusiast, than the Senna film, and right. I can think of no higher praise. Right. It is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, so everybody says. It's, yeah, it, I've actually seen it twice now. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it was even better the second time. Really? Um, really? I always think if you, if you see a film twice in the spaces of a month and it's better the second time, and then it's a really, yeah. really yeah. good film. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, good. this is the perfect moment for our editor, Damien Smith, to tell everybody about our own motorsport magazine film evening. Damien, on. Yes, um, we had a great film evening earlier in the year with the Senna film, and um, it went down very well with uh, the people who joined us. Um, we thought we'd try and find another idea uh, to do something similar uh, there's a film called Truth in 24 which was made by Audi um, to basically follow fly on the wall style the team through the 2008 Le Mans 24 hours now I, I have to admit I missed this first time around it just bypassed me it wasn't released in the UK it, it did have a, a, a US release I understand um, and I kept hearing about this film and Alan McNish told me about it and said how fabulous it was uh, that the, the a PR guy at Audi UK, Martin Pass, was telling me about it. It sounded fantastic. So anyway, I managed to get a copy of it. Sat down and watched this film. I was expecting a bit of a corporate kind of Audi film, uh-huh. you know, um, very much the, the corporate line. It's not. It's absolutely not. It's a really fascinating insight into the, the workings of a modern race team. And it follows the team through the preparations for Le Mans. Um, and at Le Mans itself and that race happened to be a very dramatic one uh, in the battle with Peugeot and it comes to a fantastic climax at the end Um, and I think in terms of seeing how a modern race team works and how the human element is so important in a a race team I haven't seen a better documentary Uh, uh, I mean it really is fly on the wall isn't it? It is, yeah Yeah. Yeah. Well that's a bit of Alan McNish in it Lovely Absolutely Great guy. Um, so what we've what we've organised is a, an evening, uh, Saturday, October the eighth, at the Audi Quattro Rooms, which is the big glass uh, dealership on the A4. When you come into London on the A4, it's on the left-hand side. It's a spectacular building, um, and they've got uh, great facilities there for this sort of event. Uh, we're going to show the film, and then. The best part for me is not only do you get to see the film, afterwards Alan McNish, Tom Christensen are going to be there on the night. The uh, engineers, um, Howden H. Haynes, who does steal the show somewhat um, in the film, uh, who was the lead engineer on the, the winning car that year. Uh, on McNish's and Christensen car um, and also Lena Gade who worked on uh, that car as well and this year was um, the, the winning engineer with the Audi R18 at Le Mans so two engineers two of the greatest Le Mans drivers we've ever seen uh, in the room so we'll have a forum after the film and uh, discussion audience members obviously can participate asking questions um, it should be a really good evening so I'm really looking forward to it so it's uh, yeah Saturday October the 8th 
Good. I mean, if you're listening in Mexico or Mongolia, you won't know where the uh, Audi place is. But if you're listening in England, I suggest you buy your ticket right now. And I passed it on the way here this yeah, morning. We didn't leave. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's going to um, be a great evening. Yeah, passed it at great speed in the Aston Martin. Well, well, within, well within the uh, legal limit. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's details in the magazine this month. Uh, the new issue, uh, the October issue, which um, is on sale uh, this week, um, and um, you can also go on the website as well. Okay. To find out I've got an enormous respect for Audi when you think of what yeah. they've done rallying with the Quattro, British Touring Car Championship, DTM, uh, and of course Le Mans. They yeah. do things so yeah. well. Yeah. Dr. Ulrich. Ulrich. He's a really interesting man, yeah. actually, because you know, hugely successful guy in motor racing terms um, what yeah. he's managed to achieve with Audi yeah. um, he doesn't always come across as a great character because he's, he's a little bit cold in terms of the public perception um, but when you actually meet him and talk to him he's a really warm character who really loves his, his motor racing and, uh, and I must confess I was in Montreal this year you know Le Mans weekend mm. um, and I remember you know it was the Saturday afternoon when suddenly the word came in that Magnesh had had a huge accident and uh, you know didn't look very good. I mean, initially it really didn't look very good, did it? No. Can you say? Can you say? Sorry. Go sorry. On. No, all I was going to say was, but I, I. Um, uh, anyway, I, I, I can't even remember how I did it now. But anyway, on my laptop, I, I, I made some connection to, uh, to Le Mans, and, um, but I, it was so. Here I'm in the Montreal press room. Everybody's you know watching what's happening in France, but I remember Auric's face when Alan got out of the car. Hmm. And that was the when he saw that Alan was all right. Yeah, I mean, it was it, talk about it was the only thing that mattered. I mean, Absolutely, it's, yeah, it's, in terms uh, of spectacle. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, it but it it really came across as a sort of it is very much a family outfit. Yeah, isn't it? They're very close. I mean, Alan says he's in you know, a way that a lot of Formula One teams are not. No, uh, can, think, can you see the VW group getting involved with Formula One? I don't know, Murray. I think it probably, if they'd stuck with the, um, thank God they didn't, but if they had stuck with the original yes. four-cylinder yes. um, turbo thing, I th- um, maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, that was actually originally conceived for Audi. Yes, yeah. Well, um, yes. And because well, and, uh, Audi sort of said, well, if it's a four-cylinder turbo, yeah, we'll be yeah. there. Well, I interviewed, and then they changed their mind. Um, I interviewed Ulrich Boretsky, who's the engine guy at Audi earlier this year, who, and he, he caused a bit of a stink with our readers because he said noise doesn't matter for racing cars. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's, he said to me that um, he was part of the, 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 the panel that came up with the Formula 1 Rules. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the original rules. Oh. So uh, they were clearly at the centre of the yeah. decision making. And yeah. I, I think that yeah. there was definitely scope there. Whether yeah. it's still open now with the V6, I don't know. But I, mm. I, I, it might be. I still think be. there's a possibility within the next five years, VW will come in in one shape or another with one of their brands. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Alan McNish, I think Sky Television could do a lot worse than telephone Alan McNish. I think he'd make a brilliant contribution well, he, well, he, to the he's made TV, but he's still busy all his time. He's like Anthony Davidson, yeah. isn't he? He's got other yeah. fish to fry, yeah. and they're sure. more important. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when yeah. he stops being busy driving racing cars very fast, yeah. he'll, he'll be a, yeah. a, a brilliant yeah. TV yeah. guy. Yeah. He will. Yeah. Shall we finish up by each of us asking Murray our own little question? Maybe something we always wanted to ask him. But what I'd like to know is, when you are sitting down in your lovely house in the New Forest, looking back on a, an amazing career, and just maybe having a glass of wine and musing over things, 
who who in motor racing stays uppermost in your mind has made the biggest impression upon you Sterling Moss yeah. uh, without a shadow of doubt I mean people ask me who's the greatest racing driver of all time and depending on how I feel at the time I give it give a different name but Sterling is quite incredible when you look at what he achieved in terms of being able to drive all sorts of different motor cars incredibly quick and win in them when you think that he won what is arguably the greatest race of all time the Mi Amelia in 1955 uh, when you think how at the age of 80 everybody still knows Sterling Noss notwithstanding the fact that his career finished in 1962 uh, and he is an absolutely super bloke yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more Nigel um, shall we mention I Eddie Irvine or not no we won't, we won't mention Eddie Irvine we, we won't mention Eddie Irvine no, oh. no. <laughs> it, it occurs to me actually I mean we're coming up on the 10th anniversary of your, of your last race aren't we yes was, which was Indy yes right after 9-11 yes um, and I, d I wondered I mean I, not that you've sort of you never been to races since but but I but I, I, I wondered how long it, how long it took you before it you didn't automatically look ahead and base your life around now. Oh, so wait a minute, now so that's Spa, and then we've got Fortnite of his Monza, and then uh, I wonder how long it was before you got used to not being at all the races. I don't know. I find it a terribly difficult question to answer. I'm still not used to not, not? not being at all the races no, now. No. Um, um, because I'm still <laughs> lucky enough to do odds and ends for yes. the BBC and one or two other things. Um, I, I mean, people ask me if I miss it, and mm -hmm. I say, yeah, of course I miss it. If, mm -hmm. if, if it was as important a part of your life as it was for me, and you stop doing it, uh, you're going to miss it. And I still miss it, sadly, and I would love still to be going to all the races, and I would still love to be talking about them. Yeah. But the fact is that I'm an old man, and, and uh, I, I, I'm... I haven't got the stamina now to, to cope with the travel. No, no, it's a, I mean... You it's, know what it's like now, uh, Absolutely. I mean, it's a perfect answer, Murray, because it always amazes me the number of people who do stop or do get out of it. And you say, do you, do you miss it? No. I just simply don't understand well, that. It either didn't matter to them or they're lying. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably probably yeah. actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Murray, you, you mentioned there that Sterling Moss for you has left the biggest impression on motor racing. Um, and, you know, as you say, he stopped in 62. I mean, do you, you know, you've seen so much. Is there a particular era that you remember very fondly uh, for a particular reason? Yes, uh, the, uh, the 80s, I think, uh, because you had uh, Nigel Mansell, Nelson Piquet, Alain Prost, Ayrton Senna uh, racing against each other, all of them world champions. Um, none of them liking each other very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, uh, and, and we had some wonderful spectacle. It was the turbo era. Um, so it would, be the eight, it would be the 80s for me, without a doubt. And my question, Murray, um, which commentator in other spheres um, have you admired most over the years? Um, 
I've, I've got a mental blank. I know exactly who I'm talking about, but I, I can't remember his We've name. We've stumped him. Uh, no, no, we've no, done no. it. <laughs> no, I know the feeling, Murray. Uh, give, give, give us, I, I give got us it, a... I've got it. I've got it now. Without a shadow of doubt, Bill McLaren, uh-huh. uh, the rugby commentator, yeah. uh, because he knew his sport intimately and he, he talked about it with a deep love and passion. Mm. And I, I'm not a rugby enthusiast but if ever there was a rugby match on that Bill McLaren was mm. talking about I would watch, watch it simply because yeah. I knew I was going to enjoy it on account of the yeah. fact the, mm. of the way he talked about it apparently he used to use a pack of cards and he'd to learn all the players numbers and he'd just shuffle the cards and deal them out and he'd say and go through the team just saying which team member that was with that number really? so he'd know just when he's looking at a rock he wouldn't need to see a face he'd just see number seven he'd say oh that's so and so and I just found that amazing there's video footage of him just going through the car pack with his name and he gets one wrong and he puts the song and just keeps going mind you I think that the commentators who've got the, the hardest job are the horse racing commentators <sighs> yeah. Yeah. basically I had to talk about yeah. 24 drivers uh, and if, if you see a red car coming towards you 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 knew that it was going to be either either Mansell or Prost or whoever or mm-hmm. Schumacher or Barrichello, uh, and you only had to look at the driving style and the helmet to know mm-hmm. which one it was. The horse racing people have to talk about different races with the same jockeys wearing different silks for different races on the on different horses yeah. and how the heck they master all the stuff they have to talk about is beyond me well and speak also extraordinarily quickly because it's a the, the yes. event's very yes. short and there's so yes. much to get in yes yeah yes. no i agree i agree so, can, can i can i just tell one story before we finish uh it's about the tt races in the isle of man which are so close to my heart uh, and at that time, my father was the lead commentator of the grandstand, and I was at Cregna Bar. And my father and I were the only two of the five commentators who actually knew anything about what we were talking about, <laughs> because they, the other three people were BBC staff men, one of whom was a chap called David Southwood, who had a radio programme called A Seat in the Circle, and he was a film critic, so he wasn't terribly knowledgeable about motorcycle racing, and he was at Cregna Bar. And in this particular year, 1951, my father at the grandstand says, well, Jeff Duke number 51 is due at Craigner Bar now, so over to David Southwood. And David Southwood said, perfect timing, Graham. I've just seen Jeff Duke on his wonderful Norton motorcycle come whizzing round the bend at Kate's Cottage and he's plummeting down the hill towards me. I can see the sun glinting off his white helmet. Oh, it's a seagull. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, David. We'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On that note, we'll end what for me has been the most enjoyable uh, of the podcasts we've done here at Motorsport Magazine. Murray, you're a joy. You're a hero. Thank Uh, you, Rob. You're irreplaceable, in my view. Uh, But it is my job... Uh, just before we close to remind you of the subscription offer I know it's a bit of a come down but we do it Uh, at the moment if you subscribe to Motorsport magazine it is £46 for 12 uh, issues and you will get two free DVDs the 1960s British single seater racing and the 1959 British hill climb championship 
this is a bargain, okay? So go for it. We need as many subscribers as possible. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Murray. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing.